Welcome to Comic Talkers, where comics is always the top of our conversation. I'm Mary. I'm Brandon. And I'm Bryce. And we're continuing with our Green Arrow months. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going over some very common Green Arrow misconceptions. Um, in all of my time in comic book fandom, there are few characters I see lied about more than Green Arrow. <laughs> And which is crazy because it's a continuous narrative. You can read from the beginning all the way to the end and it's not very hard. Um, so what we're going to do is we have a list of seven big misconceptions that surround this character. I'm going to share um, sort of the topic. Um, Bryce and Brandon are going to tell me what they know or think they know about this topic. And then we're kind of really going to go over um, the meat of the situation and what's actually in the comics. And I think what works best for this too is Bryce and I, Bryce and myself, do not have a lot of history with Green Arrow, so we're going off of what we read Quiver. Yeah, like and Green Arrow was my, my first superhero Bryce's. when I was seven. Yeah, so uh, my first comic ever, um, and I never really stopped reading Green Arrow since. Um, so I have a lot of background with the comics, and I frequently reread them. <laughs> so the goal for us is to kind of talk about what we know. And also, too, for Mary to teach us a lot more stuff than we know, because trust me, she has done this even beforehand um, with Green Arrow. So trust me, I've learned a lot from her. So I'm really excited for this video. So Mary, go ahead and take the mic. You're the curator of this episode. Go ahead and let us know what the first misconception is. So I the first the big one that we're going to talk about. Um, is Ollie and Roy's relationship, and of course you can't talk about that without talking about Snowbirds Don't Fly, and often talked about, but little read, two-issue storyline mm -hmm. from 1971. Um, so what do you guys, what do you guys know about this? What, what can you tell me? So when it comes to Snowbirds Don't Fly, it's mainly, so it's part of the Hard Traveling Hero segment. Um, this is the, one of the most iconic panels where you see Roy Harper heading up on Hera. Um, of course, you can't sit here and not say there wasn't a slap um, by Oliver Queen to um, Roy Harper, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was an adult at this point. He was 18. He was 18 and had his own apartment. Yeah, so at this point, um, of course, this does break off their friend, their relationship for a while. Um, not quite, actually. Okay, so that's that's where I probably draw the line of, because it's been a while since I've read Hard Traveling Heroes. That's probably where I draw a line of where I remember and what I don't remember. And what about you, Bryce? So you're getting the perspective here of somebody that has never read Snowbirds. <laughs> what have you heard about Snowbirds, Bryce? So what? there's what I've heard and there's what I think, just based off of my limited experience with the character. What I've heard is that, you know, this hitting of Roy Harper was not an isolated incident and that Ollie's been doing this for years. What I know is that Ollie's a very deeply flawed individual with what he considers very strong morals, which are really just very strong opinions on things that causes him to make rash decisions, but that he also learns from them. And that is what I think this incident was, was a rash decision made by Ollie that became part of his character development for him to grow and learn and change as a person, especially with how there to kind of talk him down and say, hey, you know, you really didn't handle that situation all that well. So 
Um, within Snowbirds Don't Fly, you can't really take it without the context of Golden and Silver Age Green Arrow. Um, so speaking to Bryce's first point, um, this was the first time in Snowbirds Don't Fly that Ollie had ever hit Roy. And it's also the only time. Um, first and last time both happened in 1971. This is not at all indicative of their relationship. Um, in fact, this is also going to go on to our next point. Um, Ollie is extremely concerned about Roy's safety. The only reason he has a pretense of a secret identity throughout the Golden and Silver Age is for Roy's safety. He doesn't want bad guys knowing who his kid is. Not that they're very good at hiding it, but that is the concept. Um, Roy often tells, um, Ollie often tells Roy to stay in the car. <laughs> um, no, don't go in there speeding. It's too dangerous. And then he ejects himself out of the aeroplane because that's the car, um, the ejector seat. Um, he doesn't even want Roy hanging around the Teen Titans for much of Titans Volume 1 because he thinks it's too dangerous. So Roy is often not there because Ollie's like, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. You guys are unsupervised. <laughs> um, Ollie, Ollie is the one that if he presses the brakes a little too hard in the car, would be the one to reach his arm over and, like, shield Roy. Yes. Um, one time Roy twists his ankle in a fight and Ollie carries him. Like like a fireman carry throughout Star City. And people make way because everyone loves Speedy that much. It is, he's extremely doting. He's, ex they're in an extremely close relationship and it's extremely affectionate. Um, one time they even go to a circus together and Roy insists on going to see a fortune teller who reveals to them that one of them is going to kill the other. And Ollie didn't want to go anyway. He doesn't believe in fortune tellers. But afterwards, Roy is clearly anxious. And he goes, don't worry about it because it has to be baloney because I would never, ever hurt you. I would never kill you. You're my best friend. They are extremely close. And Snowbirds is an outlier. So shortly before Snow, so shortly before Green Lantern, Green Arrow, um, of course, Roy and Ollie lose their fortune when Roy is 15. Um, and Roy moves out at 18. Ollie has his apartment. Roy has his apartment. Ollie mistakenly believes that Roy is going to be fine if he goes on a, on a road trip with Hal. Roy is not fine. Roy has abandonment issues. Miscommunications abound. Right? Uh, Roy assumes Ollie has abandoned him and forgot about him completely. Ollie is gone for one month with Hal. He comes back. He's like, oh, I have to check in on Roy. And that's when Snowbirds happens. And Snowbirds is, should be noted, is written as a PSA. It is not supposed to be in character. And it's being written as a PSA not so much as an anti-drug PSA, but as a don't treat addicts like crap PSA. Because the entire crux of the story is, hey, look at Ollie, he's wrong. Look at him, look at, we, he apologizes on page and immediately starts to try to repair his relationship with Roy. Um, and he does. And Roy gets the chance to basically look at Ollie and go, hey, I'm not ready to forgive you yet. And Ollie accepts that on page and then Roy stops off and goes on his own and says he's gonna try to whip that band of his into shape and we see great frog like twice <laughs> it's the first and only time that happens um and Ollie himself is um an addict and this is something that a lot of people don't take into context with snowbirds especially when we get later confirmation in canon that Roy initially started using drugs as a way to hurt Ollie 
He was feeling abandoned and hurt by Ollie leaving on his trip with Hal, so he decided he was going to hurt Ollie by following sort of in his footsteps in a way that he knew was going to hurt Ollie. Um, it's a very complicated relationship. Their dynamic is extremely complicated and it's one of my favorites to explore. But beyond this too, they work together almost immediately after Snowbirds. Roy is still speedy, Ollie is Green Arrow. And it doesn't really work because there's all of these unresolved feelings and all of this tension. And so Roy sets off on his own and that's what starts his path with Checkmate. So it, but he's speedy for a long time, even after Snowbirds. Um, Roy is the first of the Titans to set off on his own, but he's one of the last to give up their childhood code name. Um, and part of that is because Speedy is a nickname given to him by Ollie. He's not quite letting go of that attachment to his father. Um, and there are attempts mostly on Ollie's side, just sort of reconnect with Roy, let him know that he's still thinking about him, that he cares about him, that he wants to communicate and sort of open this bridge that they have between them. He wants to sort of try to cross it. And every time Roy says, I'm not ready, Ollie listens and he just kind of gives him his space. Um, until Green Arrow 1988 issue 75, which is their big moment of reconciliation. And then Ollie dies not all that long after this. Um, so their relationship is really close and Roy canonically thinks Ollie is a good dad. Um, and he tells Ollie this after Ollie compliments his own parenting. Well, Roy's parenting, not Ollie's. Ollie typically doesn't pat himself on the back like that. He kind of has a lot of self-loathing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's kind of the crux of the issue. Uh, one of the biggest issues with people who talk about Snowbirds is they've either never read it or they don't read issue two, which is kind of a big part of a two-issue storyline. <laughs> leaving out half of it, you're not going to know what's going on. It's been a long time since I've, 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 I love hard traveling heroes, but it's been one that I haven't read for a while. I would love to go back and reread and revisit. Um, but bit I of a dense read, like most comics from that era, so. And I agree with you. You have to read the second book more than you have to read the first. The first, of course, is the most iconic panel, but the second one explains more what's happening. Um, and of course, you can't really talk about it without talking about the fact that O'Neill and Adams were active in recovery works in their own communities. Yeah. This is a story based on their own experiences trying to help people in their neighborhood that they cared about recover from addiction. So the story is less about drugs and more about how not to react to someone using them. It's about treating addicts kindly and with humanity. And it's directed towards the adult parents of young adults in the 70s. This is released like three months after the war on drugs is announced. It's about like, hey, if you are momentarily distant from your adult child and you find out that this is happening, don't be awful about it. <laughs> Um, it's one of those, have you hugged your kid today stories, but it's geared towards like adult children. <laughs> um, and of course, this brings us to our next topic, which is the like Ollie and child welfare. Now, what do you guys know about this? Well, I tell you this, he's better than Bruce. Yeah. Any day. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's coming from the Batman fan. I know Bryce is a huge Nightwing fan. Bruce has never been good with kids. Arrow. And love stick in a cage in the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that Grayson has learned about how to treat people, he has learned from Superman. And I think you want me the best one that I remember reading when it comes to Oliver being not just a superhero figure to his sidekicks, but 
a father figure is in Quiver. And you get that with Roy. And Roy, that first little monologue with him of how he was teaching him to be patient, to how to be this, and and how you see that whole ending go, thank you, Dad, I have now learned. And it's it's phenomenal. It's the whole thing of Ollie, it's like you said, I think you said in the Green Arrow Museum, Ollie always treats, it's always family first, then psychics. And that's how he's always treated his protégés or his wards, is that they're all family. They've all taken them in as their legal guardians and been able to not only teach them how to be what he is, but to be better than him as well. So that's why I like Oliver more as a parental figure. Um, and it, it comes down to the fact that Ollie actually understands what love is yeah. as opposed to Bruce. Because I believe that Bruce thinks he loves his kids and Bruce tries to love his kids. He just does not know how to love himself or love anything around him. And so his best is still traumatizing. And uh, there's an action, something that's really interesting about that too. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more when we get to uh, one of our later topics is that Bruce, we have evidence he was loved by his parents. We don't have that for Ollie. That's true. Granted, with with Bruce, when you lose your parents at ten years old, like at ten years old, you only. I'm just I'm just saying when you when you're when you're a kid, you view love from your parents as more of a at least I at least I did when I was that age as a duty first and a choice second. I'll come back to the Batman comic because I kind of want to wait for that to later too because I think there's a good point to I want to bring up in that. And so. Yes. So like I mentioned when we were talking about Golden and Silver Age Green Arrow with Ollie's continued um, actual understanding that Roy is a kid. Yeah. Um, that he's brought in. And Roy is older than a lot of the other sidekicks when they're brought into the hero business. Roy is a whole teenager. Yeah. I think um, he is the oldest, isn't he? He is. And he comes in later in the game than most of them. Um, and Ollie is like, no, you're a child. You you are a kid, little baby, gonna take care of you. And he has that kind of towards every kid he ever interacts with. Um, we see this in the post-Snowbirds era where he has two teenage villains that kind of go up against him. And his first instinct is, oh my God, who's parenting you? Um, and he just kind of like steps in and like tries to help guide them in the right direction. Because he's like, what <laughs> um and of course i would be remiss i can't believe i'm not bringing up tim north my favorite one-off green arrow character who is also technically ollie's legal legally adopted son oh um, brandon shaking his head because i've talked to him about tim north before he appears once in 1951 and never again um and I mean, Ollie is, the entire time he's interacting with Tim, he's like, oh my god, please, no, you don't want to go out with Green Arrow and Speedy. <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> and of course, Tim continues to lie and say that he's Green Arrow and Speedy's greatest confidant. <laughs> Meanwhile, Roy hates him. It's hysterical. <laughs> Bruce treats his kids. Read Nightwing Year One. 
And of there's also like plenty of evidence as well um, with his entire interaction with Mia. The first time he lays eyes on Mia, um, as I'll talk about in Quiver, he she is just in underwear um, and she's being pimped out. And he goes, you are a child. It's like, have like dress like a kid, have a childhood. How can I get you out of this situation? Aren't they like in the cult? He like gives her his jacket or something. Like he like cover yourself up here. Yes. And it's he almost try he tries to stop Mia from becoming a vigilante, and that's a very huge issue between the two of them for a lot of Green Arrow two thousand one, because he doesn't think, especially after his experiences with Roy, that kids should be involved in the hero business. And Mia basically has to force his hand. She has to look at him and go. I'm HIV positive and I want to do something with my life. And what I want to do is I want to help people. And she basically like forces his hand into accepting that this is what she wants to do with her life. And it's 2001, like in the early 2000s. And he very much remembers and was an active part of, like not active part, but he was connected to the queer community in the 80s and 90s. So he is very aware of the AIDS crisis and he knows that nothing is guaranteed for Mia medically. And if this is what she wants, he's going to let her do it, but he's going to be there to keep her safe throughout. And that's why he also wants her to work with the Teen Titans. He's the one who sends her there because he knows that the Titans formed a very close knit group that helped Roy. And he wants Mia to have that support system of fellow youth that understand her predicament. He tries the same thing for Emiko. He wants her to be a civilian. She keeps saying no. And he can't really stop her because she was raised to be an assassin. Um, now remind me, when, Arrow, what, what five or don't. Mia, it's weird. Where did she, does Mia become speedy again? Like what run is that? It's 2001. Yeah, the Kevin well, Smith. Volume three. After. I was going to say, was it was it uh, Smith, Melter, Winnick? Um, it wasn't Smith, because I don't think Smith brought her. It wasn't her. Smith. No, Smith created her, yeah. but he didn't. Smith created her. I think it might have been Winnick. Winnick? It, was, it was Winnick, because he's the one who writes the HIV storyline. Okay. Because it comes after that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm making a note of that for not only uh, our listeners' reading list, but also my own. So, and yeah. um, I do have a complete Mia reading list um, if you want it. <laughs> like yeah, all of her appearances. She's my favorite. Um, but he's just um, also including um, a child he doesn't even know is his at this point, uh, which is Robert Queen II, which is his child with um, Shadow. Um, Shadow, he finds out that Shadow's child is in danger and he drops literally everything and goes, okay, I'm helping you get your baby. Um, and it drives Dinah insane. Um, but all I hear is there's a kid in danger. Okay. Um, oftentimes throughout the comics in multiple different places, if he finds out that someone is hurting a kid, his immediate instinct is, oh, you think I'm a good guy. I've killed before. I'll do it again. Well, what was a good example is Quiver. What was it? Stanley? Good Dope? example is Quiver um, in Hunter's Moon. Um, he finds out that his and Dinah's therapist is a survivor of a current um, predator hunting children in Seattle. Um, and then he finds out that that predator has kidnapped another little girl and he drowns the man in beer. This is <laughs> how Grell opens the run, by the way. 
what's that what's that vine with the teacher where she's just like well i guess you just have to be prepared to die yeah if all he hears you've heard a kid that you're done um there's that iconic moment where he's talking to batman he's like that kid lives with you he's your child he's not a soldier and then that speaks to bruce's decades-long pattern of calling his kids soldiers which dates back to the 40s it cannot be blamed on miller again nightwing year one he fires grayson as a child because grayson wants to hang out with the teen titans and Bruce yep. calls him his lieutenant. He said, Robin is my lieutenant and my second in command. This is a war. Yeah. And um, I can't believe I'm mentioning Rebirth, but I have to mention Rebirth because there's an entire part in the beginning where Ollie literally just full on reveals his secret identity because a small child needs comforting. Talking about Rebirth, am I being pranked right now? I know I hate Rebirth so much but Bruce should never have written that book some of the things I'm going to talk about do come from Rebirth and they're the few moments that are actually in character Ben Percy's which is not most of this like 50 issue run um, but yeah no Ollie has always from the 40s um, into a lot of the newer comics he's always had this focus on child welfare and understanding that like younger heroes especially are kids you can see this in how he treats the other Titans. You can see this in the fact that he's constantly advocating for the Bat Kids. Even when Jason has kidnapped Mia, he's still looking at Bruce going, perhaps your son is angry because you didn't tell him you were happy he was back from the dead, and instead you attacked him. <laughs> Maybe if you didn't call him the dirt from the sewers, he might be willing to talk to you. Also, if he didn't find out that you replaced him the way that he did. Yeah, like... Ollie's like, have you considered treating your child with kindness? Um, and that's kind of how he approaches all of them, really. Um, and yeah, he's always had this focus on child welfare. It's one of the key parts of his character. It's like the one thing him and Barry Allen agree on is uh, like Barry Allen is a good father figure. Yes. <laughs> now we're coming to a bit of a heavier topic. Um, and for this, I will say... Um, viewer discretion advised, uh, because we are going to be talking about, um, sexual assault. It's a very heavy topic. Um, but there is this huge conception, um, that Oliver Queen is a serial cheater. This is one of the first series of videos I ever made on TikTok, um, talking about this topic. But what do you guys know about this? So if I'm not mistaken, you're talking about, well, one of the main things is with sexual assault is shadow. And... Shadow, pretty much they work together a lot in Grail's run to the point where he's, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, he's either knocked out or sleeping or doing whatever he may be doing. It's he been, shoots him. Oh, she shoots him. Okay. And then she, um, and then part of my, again, viewer discretion for advice, she rapes him in the process. Yes, and he thinks that she's Dinah. He's hallucinating with an infection. And and then that's essentially what broke Dinah and him up because Dinah feels No. That... You haven't read this run, so I'm going to forgive this. But okay. that's that's the that's just the start of all of this. Okay. Um and they had only interacted like once or twice beforehand, um, before this happens. This is one of their earlier interactions with each other. But yeah, but I don't like that theory at all that he's a serial cheater as well but 
I'm turning the mic over to Bryce because I'm going to shut up now because I haven't read a lot of Grails runs. So I'm just going to sit back and shut up and let Bryce take the mic. Yeah, again, when I when I say I'm brand new to Green Arrow, I am brand new to Green Arrow. Like even, which I know this is not a faithful adaptation, I've never even seen more than maybe half a season of the Arrow series. I am so new to the character as a concept. Big so one. I have actually never heard this misconception before, and I just assumed that when it was talking about Ali like having a kid with someone else or being with someone else, that it was, oh, him and Dinah weren't together at the time. And, you know, Ollie just That's kinda... true for Connor. <laughs> and that's, my my thing with Ollie is not that he's a cheater so much as a, he is a loyal guy that just, you know, likes to get around a little bit. You know, if, if he's with you, he's with you. But if he's not, he's not. And, you know, and he makes no qualms about it. Yeah. Um. So the first big instance that people like to bring up, of course, is Shadow. Um, as Brandon already talked about, we sort of discussed, um, she shoots him, he has a fever, she rapes him, results in a child. She doesn't even tell Ollie the child is his. Um, he ends up saving this child later. Huge complicated mess. Shadow confesses this to Dinah. Oh, that's where, okay, now I see. She tells Dinah that Ollie did not consent to this. And Dinah still says it's Ollie's fault. I'm sorry, Green Arrow fans. I'm really off. I am so sorry. Um, and that comes way later in the run as well. Um, this is an interaction that Shadow and Dine have. Ollie's not even there. It can't even be considered something that like Shadow is saying to like because Ollie is there and she's trying to save face. Like Ollie's not even there. This is just Shadow, Dinah, and Robert the Second. And then the next big thing is Marianne. Now, Marianne is a bit more, um, Marianne's more of a recurring character. She's there with Dinah a lot. Um, so Marianne is a runaway that is heavily implied to be sex trafficked. In many ways, she is almost a precursor to Mia. Um, I can talk more about this. I think I've made a TikTok video about it before that I can send you guys later. But um, Marianne gets brought in to live with Ollie and Dinah at the Sherwood Florist, which is the flower shop slash house that they live in. Um, Ollie is often not there for a lot of plot related reasons, including getting framed for terrorism. Um, among among other things. <laughs> he's he's not there a lot. Um, but in this time that Marianne is living with Dinah, she starts working at the Sherwood Florist. Um, we find out that she is an adult. She's going to college. And a lot of time passes. Um, and in this time, Marianne builds a shrine to Oliver Queen in her bedroom. In the house where she lives with Ollie's longtime girlfriend. At one point, she kisses Ollie in his sleep. Um, obviously, he's not consenting to that. <laughs> he's asleep um and then at a costume new year's eve party um and i'm pretty sure this is issue 74 um she tries to like come up to ollie she's wearing a maid marion costume at this costume party because she's fashioned this idea that ollie is in love with her um 
And Ollie's like, hey, no, I'm with Dinah. <laughs> like, I don't see you that way. And he rejects her twice that night. Oh, double the second, the second time he rejects her that night, she kisses him in front of Dinah. Dinah blames Ollie. Again. And then in 75, um, Dinah breaks up with Ollie. Um, Dinah breaks up with Ollie again in the same issue where he reconciles with Roy and lists him loving his sons as part of the reason that she doesn't want to be with him anymore. Because they have a piece of him. Price's <laughs> face right now is Price. It, it was the 90s. It was the 90s. You know, Dinah um, and Ollie used to be one of my favorite DC couples. But I have no, very complicated I, feelings about Dinah and Ollie, and I am happy to talk about them. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and switch them out of that number three spot and just put Aquaman and Mara back in there. <laughs> I want to go back. Um, they serve excellent narrative purpose, but they are fundamentally incompatible. Um, Dinah and Ollie, that is. Um, but yeah, no. So this is a huge part of this. It's like she, she's like Shadow has a part of you, and Ollie's like that is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called genetics. How, how dare he love the child? Like, oh no. Um, yeah. I so can, all I can all I can hear is Stanley from the office in my head going, That little girl is a child. <laughs> okay. Well, you're okay. Um, and so after Dinah breaks up with him, keyword here being after, um, Ollie basically tries to like lick his wounds. He's been kicked out of his house. Um, he's effectively homeless. Um, he again he's doesn't have his money because He's been running a flower shop with Dinah. He's been the delivery boy at the flower shop. Um, Oliver Queen has worked retail, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and um, Marion sort of runs into him. And um, at this point, he doesn't really have anyone. Like the only person he knows he has in the city of Seattle who likes him is Marion. So they have a one night stand, which Ollie immediately then goes, oh my God, what, the, what did I do? Um, that should never have happened. Um, and immediately it's like, hey, this can never happen again. This was a mistake. I am so sorry. And then they never interact again. And this is somehow always framed as Ollie cheating. Despite the fact that it happened after Dinah broke up with him. And after she kicked him out of his house. Uh, well, their house. Um, and then the next big thing is after Ollie is resurrected, um, and this is where Judd Winnick created a niece of Jefferson Pierce named Joanna, um, who is in Star City for some reason. Um, this is another one of Winnick's classic um, anti-Black racism moments. I don't like saying it like that, but I have to to keep going with this. And um, he creates this beautiful and interesting Black character, Joanna. And this is while Ollie and Dinah are not officially together. This is not, they are not in a committed relationship. Um, Dinah has up until recently been seeing Dr. Midnight. Um, they're still figuring things out, um, where they're going to be in relation to each other based on, you know, Dinah, um, having accused him of sleeping with Mia in Quiver to in front of Roy and, um, What? Yeah. 
Did oh, you yeah. miss that in Quiver? Yeah. It's that, been that, a while, but it's, it's, what? It was in there. And um, Dinah trying to force Ollie to apologize for the times that he was sexually assaulted um, when he didn't remember that those things had ever happened. Yep. And despite the fact that in Birds of Prey, written by Simone, she had even admitted to Babs that Ollie had been assaulted and it wasn't his fault. This girl's crazy. Br- Bryce is now having the face of reaction without glasses right now. <laughs> Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna get him to reclaim yeah so Dinah and Ollie are not like a committed they're not in a committed relationship at this point um we are we are nowhere close to where they're going to be at their wedding in like 2007 um and so he starts casually seeing Joanna and it's framed as him cheating on Dinah and because Jed Winnick is not good at his job and then he kills Joanna by hanging he essentially lynches this black character he created just to be the other woman. Oh, Winnick did. I thought you were about to say Ollie did. No, no. Winnick, Winnick kills Joanna. Went, we, you we, almost we. gave me a heart attack. Um, And it's not good. And it's really bad. And it's really gross for so many reasons. And, um, and but it, Does Black Lightning ever have any like reaction to yes, this? Yes, and it's it's not. Obviously, it's bad. Uh, which is crazy because Jefferson and Ollie had previously had a great relationship. Um, and this just kind of destroys all of that for no other reason than Winnick wanted to cause drama and was upset that he wasn't on the Black Lightning creative team. Oh Spider-Man 2099 didn't even do this to me. <laughs> yeah, so, and those are really the only three instances um, that are ever like you can actually point to anything in canon and then everything else is chuck dixon who was in interview said he hated oliver queen and wanted to ruin his image just casually saying that ollie was a serial cheater with absolutely zero proof to ever back it up so yeah it's it's a baseless claim that actively victim blames a survivor of sexual assault and um, essentially kind of like forces Winnick's even like racist writing to almost an even more racist light. And just say DC um, has never been great when it comes to handling that topic. Um, and it's this misconception is so prevalent that when people often talk about DC's mishandling of sexual assault, they always bring up Nightwing, which... No he's shame. a good example. He's but... a great example. But then I'll be like, yeah, Oliver Queen too. And they're like, what? And I get like a lot of insulting comments. And I'm like, read the comic, please. Because um, even Growl didn't handle it super well because he doesn't even really frame it like so much because it's, you know, the late 80s and he's a white guy in the late 80s and early 90s. So he's basically just going like, well, this happened. <laughs> um, the only time in comics I have ever seen that situation handled well was when Robert Kirkman did it in Invincible. Other than that, like people just need to people honestly just need to stay away from that at this point. Like pick another trauma. Yeah. Um and especially and if you like for DC, just pick something else. Yeah, it's not great um and then our next topic is something that bryce was like hey we better be talking about this and this is of course ollie's actual personality and something you mentioned when we were going over the museum which is ollie's politics 
Um, so what do we know? Yeah, I'm gonna let Brandon go again on this one because I'm still recovering. <laughs> so I, I, I'm gonna be kind of short and sweet. Of course, this is Ollie is the street level hero. And I hate to say it that way because he's so much more than that. But what I'm trying to get to is he's one of those guys that stick up for the little people. He's not one of these big heroes that look at, I got to save everything. He looks at down on earth. This is what's going to happen. And he's made characters like Hal Jordan, um, even Batman at points, Superman, everybody to remember that, hey, you're saving the world. Great. But remember, there's problems down here, too. It's time for you guys to really realize what's happening down here instead of staying up in your watchtower and doing nothing. Um, Green Arrow, of course. Now, something I learned um, from Mary is the fact of being that he's not really we, one. We don't like his political run at all. Um, and what I mean by oh, that, mayoral run. Yeah, his all mayor, of his runs are political. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> like his mayor run. Let me rephrase. Nobody likes that. Don't ever do it again. Um, we're seeing that in Fifty Two. I hate it so much. It makes no stinking sense for me. Um, still, it's one of my favorite scenes from that was when um, Oliver, side note, when Oliver does take the JLA communicator away from Firestorm and says, never contact me through here again. Um, still one of my favorite scenes from that whole series. But still, um, it's a fact being that he's that street-level hero that's going to make people realize you need to be here for these guys. Don't worry about always the big picture. There's people down here on Earth, too, that see it differently. So that's that's all I'm going to say about his personality, because that's what I know about him. Um, again, that's also coming from a guy who hasn't read a lot of Green Arrow. So, okay, Bryce, have you recovered enough at this point? Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to Ollie's politics, I reject the idea that he is not – hear me out before you – before you stop me after this first statement. I reject the idea that he is always this super progressive type. I think he is progressive in the context of the time periods in which he is written. Like he was progressive for the 70s. He was progressive for the 80s. Nowadays, he's pretty in line. And I even refuse... Huh? Because they're cowards. Nowadays, I or I even refuse to call him a leftist per se because I don't like the idea of leftist, rightist, stuff like that. I prefer to specify terms like that even more. So Ali to me has always been an, an individualist mm-hmm. where if one person needs help, it won't just be Green Arrow doing everything in his power to help that person but oliver queen and the oliver queen persona will move mountains for that person if possible and that applies to everyone so it's not just that he's street level he's he is getting his hands dirty in the community as a member of the community not just as a vigilante and that's that's a huge part of his character. Uh, that's really highlighted in Green Arrow 2001, where he is not only, of course, working as Green Arrow, but he's also actively running a youth center in Star City. We have the first as time Oliver Queen. Mia isn't as Green Arrow. His first interaction with Mia is as Green Arrow, but oh, then he keeps bad. her yeah. in as Oliver Queen. Yeah, my bad. At the youth center, yeah. It's... And, and she knows exactly who Green Arrow is. However, arguably, you can say that there isn't 
any difference between um, Green Arrow and Oliver Queen uh, because Ollie doesn't act any different inside the suit or outside the suit. Um, and he doesn't no, really... They're the, the personas, per se. Not, not um, really. He's okay. pretty. He's pretty consistent in and out of it. He doesn't even change the way that he talks. No. Um, that's one of the things that Mia points out in Quiver. She's like, "You even talk the same." <laughs> um, and of course, he doesn't even like try to hide like any like discernible features. Like, of course, his stupid beard, which I love, but like he doesn't hide anything. Stupid. Like, if it's you like the beard. Come on, it's like his iconic look. You got the it's iconic. It's an iconic look, but like a good. Team. There, there, there are pictures of me out there where I tried out the yeah. Oliver Queen goatee for a little bit. I did. Listen, I it's better it. than bald Ollie. The pictures exist, so I reject that statement that it is a stupid beard. Okay, fans, if you want to, please comment in our comments here on TikTok and everything because if you we get comments to see it, Bryce has got to show a post of this. It's oh. I love his beard for him, but like I'm not. I don't know. It's a weird look. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure I would like it in real life. You know, like no, I like it in the comics. I'm not. I'm not sure I would like it in real life. Um, to this might disappoint the viewers a little bit. It was the goatee itself was not as long. It didn't stick out on the bottom like a tail. Hey, don't get out of it now. At this point, if we get comments in this, but, anything we are going to, hey, it, um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, all these politics, I do have to agree with Bryce here is that they are heavily dependent on when he's being written. And um, of course, DC, back in the day, they were a lot more willing to sort of push the envelope with all these politics than they are now. Um, because now they're uh, they're a little more worried because of course they kind of gave up on Green Arrow. <laughs> um, and then they were like, oh, we're gonna have a series. We can't rock the boat. So Rebirth happened and it was just like, land didn't mean anything. Um, there wasn't any behind it. Um, and then we haven't really seen anything in the new run. So yeah. we're not, we don't really have as many, much of all these politics aside from he doesn't like Donald Trump um, from the 2016 run. So he, he is canonically a socialist. Um, this has been referenced a lot yeah. um, in the comics. He's also um, one of the only heroes that anarchy will interact with. Um, this is of course anarchy who is famous from Tim Drake comics. Mm -hmm. um, anarchy has a pretty favorable opinion on ollie which i think should kind of indicate where he lands politically um if anarchy likes him um which is one of my favorite team ups with the two of them it's a great time if you guys have never read it um but and that's a huge part of so much of ollie's character is based in these little like just demonstrations so he is canonically a vietnam war protester and that activism is actually where he meets uh, Moonday. Huh. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so they meet during um, their leftist pro their leftist political organizing in college, oh. um, which includes Vietnam War protesting, environmental protesting, the whole works. Um, the Wonder Year even goes into detail talking about um, some of his old environmental um, activist buddies um, who are now more involved in eco-terrorism um yeah and how they once blew up a building 
in college. Now, I do see just personal headcanon about Ollie. You So there were two types of Vietnam War protesters. There were the ones that protested the war but understood the veterans' position in it, and then there were the ones that disrespected the veterans as well. I think Ollie would fall into that first camp. So he has sort of depend. Of course, this depends on the comic. Um, I'm sure it depends on the person as well, because Ollie does treat people as individuals. He does treat people as individuals. He definitely would not be the kind to respect the people who took um, a sense of glory out of what was being done in Vietnam. He definitely does not respect any of upper, the upper level military. Um, but I feel like on a more like he understands the plight of the drafted. Mm hmm. He can hate their wrong. actions while also understanding that they too are victims. But he also recognizes the victimhood of the Vietnamese people. Yes. The, it, Vietnam is complicated. Um, but yeah, so that's a huge part of it. But all these politics are canonically stated. Um, they are not subtle about all these politics. Um, even the even the Milk Toast 2016 run says he wants to be called a social justice warrior. Um even the very terrible um, Green Arrow 2001, he runs for mayor, which is homophobic somehow, when he announces that he's legalizing gay marriage in Star City. Just somehow he had, Winnick made that homophobic as well. Um, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. But that's still his first act in office. Um. So his politics are so well-defined um, that there are actual discussions in Green Arrow fan circles about what specific branch of leftism he falls into. His Christmas gift to Hal Jordan every single year is a copy of Das Kapital. <laughs> By Karl Marx. But I'm shocked sometimes that him and Hal get along as, as well as they do, considering Hal is quite literally a space cop. To be fair, the Lanterns weren't as many much space cops when the friendship started. But okay, fair. you got to remember too. That's what made Hard Traveling Heroes so iconic, is because of that reason. You have that, like we said, the street level, who's been in the world, everything like that, to come somebody who's up in the stars. And of course, you can't talk about Oliver Queen without talking about the perfect Barry Allen quote, Oliver, all cops are fascists, Queen. A belief that Ollie holds in every single comic except Rebirth, because Ben Percy doesn't read. Of that I am convinced. <laughs> no, and... Ollie, Ollie and Barry have an interesting relationship when it comes to that. I do think that they respect each other, even though they can't stand each other. And they're actually, so you should read Archer's Quest because Barry okay. actually leaves Ollie something in his will. And Ollie and Roy have to go to the Flash Museum to steal it for Ollie. Excellent book. Okay. Awesome. You would Archer's love it. Archer's Quest by Brad Meltzer, correct? Yep. Right and it's part of the 2001 run. So if you read 2001, you're going to get there. It's like the good stuff before you get to Winnick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... And so, already. so then he then of course there's Ollie's personality. Um Ollie is low empathy. 
um, which is crazy for someone who is so often such a bleeding heart. He has issues understanding other people's feelings. Um, he's even said, um, especially re recently in the Green Arrow 80th, that he's always listening. You just sometimes have to repeat yourself a few times before he understands. Yeah, he's so um, sure of himself and what he believes that he doesn't quite grasp that other people might feel differently. Uh, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't say so much sure of himself, but he definitely knows what he believes. Well, I, okay. I mean, like... So sure of his beliefs. Yeah. 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 So so sure of his of his morals and what, yes. what he values. Right. Yes. And a huge part of Ollie's personality is that he is gregarious. He loves to party. Um, one of my favorite panels of Ollie ever is this time that he's at a Justice League party, and he's like power stancing and he's got like a little cone party hat on his head on top of his green arrow bicocket um and Dinah has to like chase him away from the cake like the man is here to party um <laughs> but he's also like known for never backing down from a fight um if he's gonna go he's gonna go down swinging and he's going to like it that way He's also always ready for a fight. Um, the man has more enemies than friends. His, his grave reads, always made the right enemies. <laughs> that, that's his epitaph. Love it. Um, so he he's just, he's a man of multitudes because he's often described as warm and kind and affectionate. And then you ask someone else and they're like, dude, I hate that guy. He's really rude. He's really mean. He never stops <laughs> yelling. <laughs> like, if he likes you and if you treat him, like, even with just basic kindness and respect, he's like, oh, wow, hey, we're cool. And then if you are any kind of bigot or if you treat children poorly or if you just decide you're going to come off to him rudely, he's like, oh, well, um, I guess you've chosen violence. Um, so he's both ends of the spectrum where he's extremely aggressive, but he's also extremely kind. Um, and sometimes you get both of those in the same sense. Like you do when he meets me in Quiver, where he is being extremely violent and awful to the Senate, to the, the politician. And then to me, he's like, oh, hey, are you okay? Um, and you're getting both sides of that just back and forth. I, I can just I I'm I'm see I'm seeing it now where he's just going he like him just going back and forth being like like do you do you need do you need some water like can I hi can sweetie I, like he calls you, me a pet name from the get go I will end you yeah and he that's just how he is um and he yeah Ollie he's also just extremely funny he always has a he always has a one liner he's a lot like Spider Man in that regard. Um, you are not getting out of a fight with him without a joke, typically at your expense. That's usually in DC, the former sidekicks are a lot quippier than the heroes that came before them. In my experience, Roy is way more serious than Ollie when it comes to... Honor is way more serious than Ollie, and then <laughs> Mia meets him head on. Mia is Ollie's mini-me. In all so, of the best ways. And Ollie just having like a roast session between each other, like as they're fighting like Count Vertigo. Um, Mia refers to a demon on page as a hoe. 
which is such an Oliver Queen move. If I ever mentioned that I love Mia, I've read very little Green Arrow, but I love Mia. Have I ever Mia said Dearden that? Mia is one of my I favorite characters that. of all time. Um, but yeah, so that's a lot of Ollie's personality is summed up in he's funny and he's wonderful and he's gregarious and kind. But if you are on his wrong side, you are not going to get to experience any of that except jokes at your expense. And it's possible to get off of his bad side, but it takes years and years of practice, I'm sure. It does It does take, you can get off of his bad side. Um, and one of the really interesting things about Ollie, too, is that he is willing to forgive pretty much any offense against himself. But if it's someone, if you do it to someone else, oh, then, then it's a problem. Yeah. Um, he believes he should suffer. Everyone else can't do that. Um, and that that's a great way to segue into sort of our next topic, which is, of course, the island TM, as I like to call it, and all these trauma more generally speaking. So what do you guys know? So your one really does well in explaining this. And the fact being that Oliver is stranded on an island or he's thrown overboard in some ways, strands up. Tempted murdered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What I love, too, at this point, too, is that he's taken life for granted. And the fact being that he has to learn not only to become a survivalist, but he has to be self-reliant overall in life now on at this point. Um, it does affect him, and I think it does make him realize that, you know, I don't need all this to be somebody that I want to be. Um, I love Oliver for this reason. and but that's, But, again, that's coming from my short knowledge of green arrow i know the specifics i don't know everything about it so i'm gonna turn it down to bryce on that one to me this is like the one similarity that him and batman somewhat have and that's i always get that he feels like his trauma that he acquired on the island is okay if it defines him as long as he as long as he makes sure he never lets anyone else feel like they're alone on their own island. And so that's kind of what I always got with that is he was alone for that period of time. He's fine if he's alone forever, as long as no one else is. So um just some more context on the island. Um he is on the island depending on where you're reading about the island from anywhere from like three months to three years or according to the cw5 but you know who, who yeah what was the what was the year one timeline the andy diggle they thing. don't they don't tell you <laughs> what no they don't it's they a don't year tell one. you they should they don't tell you they don't tell you it's unspecified yeah. because so many different writers have specified different time periods that rather than confirming any of them they just left it vague well, when we did the museum, Bryce, that's why I left it out, because it isn't determined how many years he's on that island in year one. I mean, I guess if it is year one, it is safe to assume that it is either 12 months or less. Uh, but but again, the year ones are just kind of more specify. general origins. They're if not... They, if they don't specify, yeah. Yeah, for Ollie, it's, again, it's one of those weird things. Um, and Ollie, while he's on the island, and even after he's off of it, he thinks of the island as sort of a heaven um he loves the island what he doesn't love though 
are that, that people are being enslaved on the island. That is his only issue with the island. Huh. Okay. Um, the entire lead up to him finding out he's not alone on the island is kind of spent with him like hunting and fishing and foraging and boiling water to create drinkable water. And he's like, wow, this is kind of awesome. He's like, I really like it here. It's beautiful. And then he finds out he's not alone and that people are being enslaved. And then he's like, oh, well, island sucks. Got to go take care of that. Um, and this is also, it should be noted, he's like on the island after almost getting murdered by his only friend. Oliver Queen's life, How you know how bad your life has to be that when you're stranded on an island, you're like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> and do you know what the crazy thing is? Is we don't get like any of what happens before the island aside from Ollie at a charity gala getting drunk because he's an alcoholic and he's dealing with withdrawal symptoms on the island. <laughs> We should get an island story where they flash back to Ollie's childhood. We should. Yeah. Because we like should. if they if they can do that for Bruce and you know Clark and other characters, like we get to see their childhoods, Ollie needs that same treatment. We have some inklings of Ollie's childhood, which I'm gonna share a little bit later um in this little segment. But um Ollie really likes the island. Um he he gets a compound fracture on the island, which is then treated. Um, and even when he's on the island, he's very prioritized on making sure that the native inhabitants of the island are the ones who get to direct their revenge on the people that have enslaved them. Um, so Ollie is not so much the one leading the charge, even though these people are trying to kill him specifically. Um, he's there as support. And when he's rescued from the island by the U.S. Navy, he refuses to publicly release the name of the island because he doesn't want people further invading the lives of the native inhabitants of the island. But what's really interesting about the island is what happens when he comes home. And we get this mostly in Green Arrow the Wonder Year as opposed to Green Arrow Year One. And what happens when he comes home is that they serve fish at his welcome home dinner. He's just been stranded on an island for indeterminate lengths of time. They serve fish at his welcome home dinner. And who he considers his only, like, a, someone he considers a friend in the Wonder Year, um, who is one of his employees, but all he knows all of his employees by name. This employee tells him, don't call me by my first name. We are not friends. You are just a paycheck to me. And I'm going to call what you just went through an extended vacation. Nobody cares about Oliver Queen. And he knows this for a fact. Because they tell him that to his face. Now, me personally, I would have gone back to the island. So in the Green Arrow 80th anniversary, um, there are, it's kind of hinted at that Ollie wants his end to be on the island. It's like in the last Green Arrow story, that story from the 80th anniversary, um, Ollie goes back to the island. Who did that story, by the way? Who did that story? That wasn't the one my girl did, was it? No, I would have to go to a different room to grab my copy of the 80th. Okay, fair um, enough. I thought it was multiple writers and stuff. that did. It was multiple writers who did the 80th, but I can't remember who specifically did the last Green Arrow story. 
I can't remember either. It's been a lot of that issue. Right? It's, been, it's been a few years since that came out. Um, but yes, so there's that. Um, and then there's this thing that everyone always forgets, uh, which is that Ollie also watched his parents die. Do you guys want to guess how his parents died? Brutally. Yes, brutally. Do you want to? Do you want to know I, how? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not chiming in on this one. I they got mauled by lions in front of him. All his parents took him on a hunting safari when he was a child. Um, before the hunting safari, um, Ollie had been learning archery and had accidentally killed a rabbit. And he was haunted by the death of this rabbit because it was an innocent creature. Ollie will kill people, but animals are off limits. Um, it fills him with immense guilt because they're innocent. Um, and so as he's watching his parents get mauled to death by lions, he has a bow in his hands. But haunted by the death of this bunny, he cannot bring himself to shoot the lions for doing what is natural to them. He doesn't even blame the lions. He just sits there and watches and is like, well, they're doing what lions do. Okay, yeah, that's official. I need a team-up story with Oliver Queen, Animal Man, that's as bad to say. Vixen, and Beast Boy on an island. Uh, Ollie straight up just is like, yeah, they're doing what lions do. I can't blame them for that. And he is spared. The lions don't attack him. They go after his parents. He just watches his parents die. Okay, but why did they go after his parents? Because it was a hunting safari. Did um, so we, we, we harm the lions? Get that? We don't actually get that information. It, it, I see. I, I am, I'm assuming that they shot at the lions. That's my assumption. But as far as I can remember, we never get that information. Whoever does um, an extreme error origin needs to give us that information. Please. And then we find out that Ollie is taken in by his uncle. Um, you learn the name of pretty much every single person that Ollie considers important to him. We never learn his uncle's name. It's never revealed. Not once. We learn the names of some of his distant relatives that live in the Ozarks. We don't know what his uncle's name is. Wow. Um, which, of course, coupled with, you know, him sort of not really caring that his parents are dead after he watched them get mauled to death in front of him. The fact that nobody cares about him when he comes back from the island um, doesn't necessarily paint the best picture of his uncle now, does it? <laughs> we know the name of the guy, we know the name of the guy that the Queens had on the safari where his parents died. We know the name of his butler in year one. We don't know who his uncle is. We don't even know which parent the uncle is related to. It's assumed it's his father's brother. We don't know. Interesting. Um, We just straight up, it's not, Ollie never reveals this information. You only get bits about Ollie's childhood from Ollie. So we're, are we painting a great picture here, guys? Does this seem like a great childhood? No, I mean... Does I this mean, seem I'm like the man is loved? I mean, yes, that I'm getting the picture, but no, it's not a good childhood at and all. And then the next really big clue about Ollie's childhood that we get, of course, we get some of it in New 52, but that's not... That's New 52. It just Green changes Arrow. everything. So. Um, Rebirth gets us a little bit closer, right? 
it's trying to combine uh, pre-boot and reboot. And that's where we get um, Ollie's family's bond with the Merlins. Um, I will once again say, viewer discretion is advised, uh, because there are some really, really bad implications here with Ollie's relationship with Malcolm Merlin. Um, so trigger warning for discussions of CSA, because Ollie on page in Green Arrow 2016, issue 19, says he was groomed by Malcolm Merlin, and that they had an unnatural interest in each other. And also says that he thinks that Malcolm wanted to take something from Ollie's powerful father. This is about himself and not his mother, whom we know Malcolm was also sleeping with. There's also a run that highlights how similar Ollie and his mother look. <laughs> it's mentioned once and never again, like many things about Ollie's life. Um, before Green Arrow. Uh, we also find out that Malcolm's preferential treatment of Ollie is what leads to his best friend, Tommy, deciding that he doesn't want to be Ollie's friend anymore. Um, yeah, and I think you guys are starting to notice that like the consistent trend here in Ollie's trauma is that he doesn't make it anybody else's problem. He should make it everyone's problem. And you can see, too, of course, like, if we look at Ollie's clear neglect that he experienced as a child, the lack of love, um, even going into rebirth with everything with the Merlins, um, is it any wonder that the man is so focused on making sure that kids have a childhood and are safe? Yeah. Is it any wonder that he loves loudly? No comment. I understand where you're going with this. It informs so much of his character. And he never brings it up. Um, I actually did end up writing a fan fiction about this. Um, based on kind of a meme joke that some of my friends made. That like Oliver Queen would end up on an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved for going missing for three years. <laughs> um and I ended up writing a fanfic where the Arrow fan basically is like, yeah, we'll cover cold cases, but we're going to, because Ollie was one, we're going to sort of address like that you have to do it ethically because otherwise you're fetishizing the trauma. Right. So they cover Ollie first. And the kids all have to realize that they don't actually know what happened on the island until Ollie shares it in that video. Because he doesn't share it with any of them. Ryan probably knows the most, and even then, what he knows is not much. He kind of just knows that the island happened. And that's it. And that's really all Ollie wants anyone to know, because Ollie is a character who is impacted by his trauma, but he's not defined by it. He doesn't live in his past. He is constantly pushing forward. Do you guys agree with that statement? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And there's, I guess, because Ollie doesn't make his trauma everyone else's problem, there's this really huge misconception I've seen in a lot of fan spaces where Ollie just apparently doesn't have any. They People have this idea that he's got this idyllic life in prep schools and parties and all of his money, but money can't buy love. Money can't buy a family that cares about you. 
money can't buy safety from people that are supposed to look out for you. Right. Yeah. And I everything we know about Ollie's life. Money masks that even further. Yeah, and everything we know about Ollie's life before Green Arrow just paints a very, very sad picture that's just full of trauma. And it's only what Ollie's chosen to share. And that's only what he's chosen to share. Yeah. Wow. Which, there's so many blanks. Whole years of his life we have nothing for. I am, and that's why I kind of made the joke earlier that like every Green Arrow writer who shares anything about Ollie's past just immediately goes, never mind all that. Uh, because half of these are mentioned offhand once and then never discussed again. Despite the fact that many of them should have a lot more, you know, emphasis or should, you know, at least be recurringly mentioned. It's crazy. And I think, seeing as I just mentioned his money and the way that people think about his money, um, I think we should talk about Ollie's money. Uh, what do we know? Yeah, so I'll tell you right now, that's Hard Traveling Heroes, where we do, before this happens, um, John DeLeon, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that pretty much like tricks him to losing his fortune plus losing his um, company. And the process of kind of what leads him to kind of go on this trip with Hal. It's it's what leads it up to it, you know. It's like a, three years before it happens. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but, but you see, like it's the whole fact that he didn't need to rely on his riches. He got through it. He got, you know, what he did his own thing. And you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. He actually kind of liked being Green Arrow more than having to rely on his riches. He liked being getting to be Oliver Queen for the first time without he got he liked being getting to be Ollie without having to be Oliver. Um, Ollie never introduces himself really as Oliver. Um, people only really tend to call him Oliver when they're upset with him or when they don't like him all that much. Oliver, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's like something that they do in the comics. Um, that's just a trend that I've noticed throughout like reading decades of published comics is that like that's a huge trend in his character. Um, Ollie tends to think of himself as Ollie. And then when people are mad at him, they call him Oliver. And it's, it's really interesting dichotomy. What do you know, Bryce? Correct me if I'm wrong, too, but during Grell's run, they don't even hardly call him Green Arrow much, do they? Not really, no. Uh, of course, he also goes on trial for things that he did as Green Arrow. Like, he shows up yeah. in court as Oliver Queen. Um, There is no pretense of a secret identity anymore. He just straight up, like, just goes to court. He's like, yeah, I did that thing as Green Arrow. Anyway, here I am, Oliver Queen, private citizen. Uh, but yeah, no, I just, um, my understanding of this is he grew up rich, but that doesn't mean that he is rich. Yeah, so as I've mentioned a few times, Ollie lost all of his wealth when Rory was 15. Um, depending on when you are reading, this is either because he was tricked out of it or because he gave it all away. Um, later writers, even O'Neill um, retcons himself. <laughs> Um, and has it so that Ollie's giving all of his wealth away rather than losing it because it's more impactful and more in line with the character. Um, basically, from like the 60s all the way through um, to the end of his life, 
Ollie doesn't have any money. The man is broke. We see on page that this man cannot afford bus fare. Superman has to give him a ride home because he can't afford a bus ticket. And that's like in the 70s. The man works retail. That's true. That has been established in this episode. Oliver Queen is a comrade. He gets it. He's worked retail. He's not speaking these politics from a state of like, oh, I live in a mansion. He's a delivery boy. Hey, he he is he has been both a billionaire and worked minimum wage. Yup. Um, he's also been a newspaper journalist. Um, he was not very good at it. I need I need to <laughs> great at it he writes this amazing article he's like what can a man do when faced with all the horrors of the world and he says a man can cry um then we see this very um excellent panel of a very manly tear going down his cheek um and he has like a man can cry like hung up in the wall like on the wall of like his house in green 2001 if i remember correctly yes he has like the article up there um peak oliver queen honestly um but yeah, so he's worked a lot of weird jobs. Um, even in the 40s, there's a period where he loses his fortune. Um, and he tries he finds work as like a vacuum salesman. <laughs> My gosh. Like the man has worked a lot of jobs. And he he doesn't really care about um Queen Incorporated. Um, especially not after he finds out that they're involved in weapons manufacturing and arm dealing. He's not about that. He doesn't want to be involved in the military industrial complex. And a lot of times that's what triggers his desire to dismantle the corporation and to give away all of his money because he doesn't want to profit off of the deaths of millions. Even within the 2001 run, um, he doesn't really consistently have his money. It's not even his money, first of all. A lot of it is Stanley's money. And then so much of that goes into running the youth center and funding the youth center that he kind of just lives in a house. Like a normal family house where he has his kids and a yard. He gets to be a dad and make chili. That's his dream. Very (laughs) spicy chili, I might add. Yeah, I I, want to eat some chili. No, thanks, guys. He even develops a vegetarian version for Connor because he loves his boy. <laughs> um, apparently, he's not, not very you're good. Gonna have, you're gonna have me reading that's, Green that's, Arrow. Like that's that's the non-spicy that. version. Um, okay. There's a no, it's no, it's still spicy. <laughs> but no, Bryce, there's an excellent. I can't believe I'm saying this because it was written by Winnick. But Connor becomes an amnesiac at one point and forgets that he's a vegetarian and goes for regular chili. And Ollie stops him because he's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You are a devout Buddhist. You don't eat meat. Let me get you something vegetarian. Even when Connor can't remember things about himself, Ollie is going, no, I care about you enough to make sure that you are following things that you care about. And I love them. Um, But yeah, Ollie doesn't really have money. He's just a guy. (laughs) He's, He's been extremely rich and then he got rid of it. Um, of course, he doesn't have use of money or does anything with money on the island. Um, and then when he has money, he funnels so much of it into public works that, like, he essentially isn't using any of it for himself. Most of his money, when he has it, doesn't even go to him. And a lot of times he doesn't have it at all. Um, so... He's he's not he's not a billionaire. 
uh, he's a former billionaire who is now just some guy. And that's all he wants to be. Um, Roy has even gone on the record as saying that he thinks that he struggled more with the loss of Ollie's fortune than Ollie did. And that he believes that Ollie became more himself following that financial loss. Huh. It's freeing for Ollie to not be bound by the constraints of what is expected of being a queen. When he doesn't have money, he doesn't have to be that. He gets to just be himself. There you go. And what he's never wanted to be is rich. There's a reason he idolizes Robin Hood. This person born into nobility um, in most of the popular stories, especially the ones that are adapted by, you know, Errol Flynn. Yeah. Uh, where Howard Hale, one of the most famous archers of the 20th century, does a lot of the stunt shooting. And that's the bow all he has in year one is a Howard Hill bow. It's the bow that Connor gets from Dinah in Green Arrow um, 101, right? Like for the first time Connor meets Dinah, which is also when he has to tell her that Ollie is dead and they've never met before. It's super awkward. Um, like just Robin Hood is primarily a deeply loyal person, born to nobility, who chooses to step away from that role to help the people that his station, by virtue of the system that he lives in robs blind every day he chooses to remove himself from that of course that ollie's going to love that guy that's all he wants to do because even in year one when we see that he's taking life for granted he's even like screaming and yelling um at this charity gala that like if any of the people in that room actually cared they would be doing street level volunteer work and not throwing money at the problem and what we see Ollie doing throughout his college years, throughout his time as Green Arrow, is that he's doing street-level work. And that's because he believes that's the best way to show that he actually cares about the people that live in his city and that live in the country. And with that, we come to our last point, which is more of a discussion. Um, and this is on the comparisons that people make and that, so we have sort of alluded to, um, between the Arrow family generally and the Bat family. And a lot of the ways that people try to draw one-to-one -one comparisons. Um, a lot a lot of times, and things get a little backwardsy here, um, just because of the comparisons that people make. People compare Ollie and Bruce. People compare, of course, Roy and Dick. Um, Connor and Tim... Who have actually interacted, Mia and Jason who have interacted, and Emiko and Damien. Um, for whatever reason, people don't draw these comparisons with Cass and Stephanie. The reason's misogyny, but um, how do you really don't. feel, Mary? Um, I don't even like Cass and Steph that much, but like the reason is misogyny. That's because <laughs> they don't care about the girls. Um. But yeah, so th those are the big comparisons that people draw, and they'd like to try to claim that these are like one-to-one -one comparisons, despite the fact that the text just doesn't support it. I, um, I think you brought up a good point earlier on too, um, and it can oh, it's the fact being that the Arrow family is like we said already, and we've said it on many podcasts: family first, 
than sidekicks in relationships like that. Bat Family is straight up Batman and his Robins. It, it, it is straight up that. And that is the one thing I hate about Bruce. And I'll say it right now is the fact that he could be such a great example for these kids. And he's not. He, he really isn't. You you have somebody like Dick Grayson who saw his parents die right in front of him just as much as he did. And he just takes him in as ward, like says, traps him in a cage. He does a lot of bad stuff to him to the point where even Dick turns his back to him and says, I don't want to become Batman. I'm not you. And yeah. decides to move forward. Green Arrow is not like that. Green Arrow takes his lords in. Even when they make mistakes, he's still willing to accept them with full arms wide open. I think there's a big difference between Bruce and Ollie is the fact being that Batman, granted, can be a great mentor given the fact that he does give all these characters their skills, but he's not that family figure that these all, these guys all need. I'm sorry, Jason needed that. Tim needed that. Even though he Tim does have some of his family still in the picture, he needed that. His own gosh darn son, Dick, or Damien, he's never liked that with him. It's but I kind of blame Damien for that fact too, because Damien comes in full spear, like, oh, I'm yeah. ready for this father, you know, or but that's also Ray Shantalia's fault. Yes. Now, granted, too, the big one for me is Dick Grayson. And Dick is never he's never had that personal relationship with him. It's always Batman and Robin first, not Dick and Bruce. Um, I say this many times. I'm a big animated um show fan uh batman is what got me into comics their relationship is bruce and dick and that is what i wish their relationship would have been yeah not what it is in the comics and granite fans i'm going to tell you right now i'm not proponent of barbara gordon and batman getting it on when dick and her are supposed to be together never been a fan of that i will say that is bruce Tim's biggest problem and he still holds on to that um, why a lot of fans didn't like the Killing Joke movie that they did a while back. Um, let's not talk about that though, but it's the point that to me, that's the relationship I want. And they don't give us that. You know, so but when it comes to Arrow or Green Arrow and his wards, he has that family feature. He always cares about the kids. He always cares about their well-being. There's big differences. And it's like we said, Bruce does rely on his riches. He can sit here and say he doesn't either, but he does heavily. Green Arrow doesn't. There's a huge difference too, but it's also, like I said too, one's more of a street-level hero. One thinks he's a god. There's a huge difference when it comes to that. So this is where I actually will say, as a Batman fan, I would never compare any of them. Any Bat family member, anything to an Arrow family member. They're totally different dynamics. Yeah, the closest comparison that can be made is probably between Dick and Roy. And even then, that is a stark contrast. Yeah. I'm going to with Damien has some points as well. But Dick and Roy is the biggest example. They have the longest history together where they're often being compared it's easier to see the comparisons that are made in the text there because there's just simply more of them. Yeah. And even Roy and Dick make them themselves. Mm -hmm. um, now, Roy especially because he does have a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to Dick. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but like, even as Roy says in Batman plus Arsenal, he's like, I am so glad he's two versus faith. He's like, you're a terrible father. And I'm content to be a worse hero than Dick because it means I never had to deal with you. Now, yeah, exactly. And going based off of what Brandon said, you know, Bruce, Bruce could have done that. I still, I hold true to the fact that the reason Dick Grayson especially stuck around as long as he did, one is because John and Mary Grayson were good parents that taught him correctly. And, and two, and I get that this person also was a bit of an enabler. I'm not saying he was perfect either, but Alfred was good to Dick. Yeah. Alfred, Alfred is also the one who t- tells Dick that it's his job to be responsible for Bruce's mental health. But but even then, when you yeah. gotta think about it though, Alfred, if I think Alfred's had more of those personal connections with the Robins. Yeah, he he is very much still the person going, you have to be parentified because I never did my job to turn Bruce into a functioning adult. Alfred is trying to make up for his mistakes with Bruce with the the kids. Well, it's it's like we said. Because he has that age and experience now to where he sees that. Talk about Alfred's own kids, though. Don't talk about his daughter. Yeah, let's I think the thing is too, and again, I'm bringing up the animated because this is why I feel Bruce could be a great mentor, just like Ollie can. Is one of my favorite episodes. It's Robin's Reckoning, and when you get to see Dick Grayson confront his parents and his family's killer, and he almost kills him in the process of doing it, Bruce stops him and makes him realize a lot of things. Right there, it's like, why can't Bruce do that in the comics? Why is it he has to be such a, pardon my French fans, a hard ass compared to making him realize I'm in your shoes. There are days I want to kill my killer, my parents kill it. But there's times I have to realize I have to leave it up to the justice system. You know, why can't he do that in the comics? I hate to say it, but I think that's also another big difference. The arrows will kill. The, bats the arrows right don't away. believe in the American justice system because they know firsthand how flawed it is. Um, and they understand how corrupt it is. <laughs> it's one of those things, and I know we talk about it in Bat- with Batman Ego, is that whole thing of Bruce Wayne feels we gotta leave it up to the justice system. Batman's persona goes, look what's happened since then. Yeah. Joker- and Ollie says, screw them both. Yeah. <laughs> Joker at this point goes, oh, I'm going to go kill people, and it happens because you don't make that next step. Two-Face has become our problem because it was our mistake that leads to him. It's one of those things like you do what you think is right, but it's not what's right. I think, too, one of the really interesting things about Bruce and Ollie is that Bruce is convinced that he and Ollie are the same. No. Depends on where you're reading. No, no, um, I mean, he likes I to agree with you. I'm not saying that against. Yes, that. Bruce thinks they're the same. Bruce very much. Sometimes he will admit that Ollie is a better person than him and a better hero than him. This is very rare. For the most part, he tries to convince them, every, including himself, that they're the same. Um, during Ollie's wake, so Bruce is not there, and Clark is not there. Of course, Clark is there when Ollie dies. Um, so Clark is like, maybe I shouldn't go to this. Um. But he and Bruce are talking, and Bruce tries to claim... No, 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 no. 
Clark is different places. I'm thinking about Quiver where they're talking to each other. Bruce is in the Batcave and he finds out that Ollie has died. Yeah. And he makes this claim that he and Ollie were very much the same. And you want to know what the two things he draws on? They were both raised rich. Crazy how they both handled that in completely different ways. And they mean totally different things for each character. And they were orphaned young. But One of these things defined the character. Yeah. And then Ollie just doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, he calls on the two things that make them the most different and says, we were the same. It's funny because there's there is a clear way in reading it that Pete that fans and comic readers should be able to tell that they are not the same. And that is their relationship with Hal Jordan. Yeah, I I could see that. Because Hal Hal is very much a Hal lives in the moment. Hal is accepting of the fact that each moment he lives could be his last. And he's okay with that. And that also means that Hal is not going to hold back how he feels about you, and he's not going to hold back on what he thinks of you. And if he thinks two very different things about two very different people, how can those two people ever be the same? Yeah. I think, too, that um, especially with um, the, the Bruce and Ollie dynamic, that of course I'm coming back to Sidekick Showdown, which is also a great jumping off point to talk about Mia and Jason. Um, but Ollie basically is like calling Bruce out for how he treats his kids. He's like, hey, perhaps you could be nice. What if you were kind? What if you showed them love? And Bruce then just lies about the events of Snowbirds. And this is taken at face value and as fact by tons and tons of people. This is where a lot of these snowbirds don't fly. Misconceptions start because Bruce is like, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you kick out your underage ward when you found out he was addicted to drugs? Never mind the fact that Bruce has been one of the people most ableist to Roy about his struggle with addiction. Whereas Ollie is like, hey, I'm proud of you. Look at how far you've come. Look at how great of a hero you are. Also, again, Bruce kicked out Grayson when Grayson was underage. Yeah, Ollie didn't do that. And Ollie doesn't even respond. He just says, well, I never said I was perfect, but this is your fault. Your kid kidnapping my kid is because you were a terrible well, parent. Another big one, too, is Jason. And yeah. it's yeah, in some ways you get that conception of, yes, Bruce did care. And the night that Jason dies, he does tell Jason to stay back. It's too dangerous. Jason doesn't listen. Jason Gus does in his own thing because guess who taught him? Bruce Wayne, because of course Bruce Wayne goes does his own thing when he needs to get things taken care of too. He goes saves his mom, but in the process of doing it, he doesn't really save her because guess what? The warehouse is blown up. And she betrays him. Yeah, she betrays him. So at this point, but when he comes back to life, he doesn't want to believe it. And then the fact being, when he finally comes face to face, you would think like, hey, I'm going to be here to help. And all he does is just tell him, you know what, if I pull that trigger, I'm just no better than anybody else. And that's all he does. It's like, you need to be there for Jason. You need to rehabilitate him. Another thing yeah. too is this one-to-one -one comparison doesn't really work between Ollie and Bruce or Mia and Jason because Mia kills someone before she is ever speedy. Yep. yep. And Ollie is there. Ollie watches her release the arrow. Yeah. 
and she's traumatized by it and she only taught her how to kill i was thinking the moment in quiver when we first meet her when she takes down her pimp Uh, yeah that too ollie ollie looks at mia he sees her for the scared traumatized child she is and he says i am never going to let you be in a position again where you cannot defend yourself with lethal force if necessary yeah and he teaches mia how to kill he teaches her the most effective way to kill another human being. And then he watches her do it. And she is traumatized by all get out. And she looks at him, tears streaming down her face. And she says, tell me I had to do it, Ollie. Tell me I didn't have a choice. And instead of criticizing her or telling her like, no, you, there were other options. He complies and he tells her you didn't have a choice. And he hugs her and he comforts her. And he acts like a father should. I can think of he loves his time. child. I can think of one time that Bruce did that, that Bruce went that far for one of his kids. And that was with the death of Jack Drake. It's still hard though. Like I I I see where you're going with it. Is That's that the only time I can think of. Other than that, the only times I can really see him showing, especially towards Dick, any affection was during Infinite Crisis when he was talking to Earth 2 Superman and basically referred to Dick as the multiversal sort the multiversal point of good. Well, the only other moment I could say where he actually regrets some of the stuff he's done is what happens to Barbara Gordon. And yeah. there's this shooting of of course of course this if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, this is killing joke. Joker. Where Joker goes in, shoots Barbara, paralyzing her and for one moment, you actually see Bruce regret what he has done in bringing Barbara or allowing Barbara to be Batgirl. But again, it's fine, that was not canon for like 25 years. Exactly. But even then, that's the reason why. It's the fact being that Bruce kind of just, I hate to say it, kind of shrugs it off. Actually, no, it wasn't 25 years. It was like 15. Whenever she became Oracle. 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 That was more in early 2000s, so about 15 years. Still, when that's yeah, late 90s, years, early 2000s. Yeah was not canon so but no that's why i said and the whole thing with me and jason no i don't agree with that jason jason wasn't jason the the crazy thing about sidekick showdown which is this whole thing where jason kidnaps mia basically under this false pretense that ollie and bruce are the same the whole the whole (laughs) the whole comic arc is based around showing you they are not the same because even with inside kick showdown ollie is showing more empathy for jason then Bruce is. Right. And Jason has kidnapped Mia and then blows up her high school. And he is still like, maybe we should treat the kid with kindness. And part of this too is that like Ollie is also someone who has come back from the dead and then been faced with Batman showing him violence. Right. Lest we forget, Ollie was going to autopsy Ollie while he was alive if it wouldn't have immediately killed him. Um, Ollie understands what it's like to come back and have Bruce Wayne decide that you are worthy of violence when you haven't done anything. Not saying that Jason didn't do anything. Jason has done a lot of things. But, like, he understands, like, everything that goes with that. Ollie probably also understands, too, like, hey, this isn't entirely Jason. The Lazarus Pit has something to do with this. Right. That is out of his control. And so, like, 
and a lot of a lot of people and i say this as a jason todd fan i say this as a jason todd fan um they take jason saying that he and mia are the same in a comic that is literally about showing that he and mia are not the same and that places him very much in a position of like a much larger man hunkering over this like five foot three girl who has been severely traumatized by men her entire life threatening her and like showing her violence um like they're not the same and they go well jason saying they're the same means that jason is a csa survivor and i should ignore everything about me Dearden and give it all to jason todd and then they get mad when csa survivors like myself go hey don't do that maybe maybe we should let the canon character who has that backstory have that backstory where it's actually explored in the comics and maybe you should read the text. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially when it just ends up ignoring the female character to prop up a guy. Specifically yeah. a bad guy too, which is a common thing in DC of bad characters being propped up above the yes. rest. And I say that as a major fan of a lot of bad characters i i did say this once as a no nuance november but if the bat fam were really as great as y'all say they are then you wouldn't have to steal things from other characters and make other characters look bad to prop them up let them rest on their own merits and let other characters do the same yeah and many of them can i don't know That's... why they, i don't know why they don't get to um and of course like even then connor and tim they're they're so different tim is like four years younger than connor and basically goes oh my god you're the green arrow so cool and connor's like right anyway <laughs> and it's like the cool interaction so it's part of why the, the 2022 dc 2023 i know what year it is the 2023 dc pride story with them makes no sense because they weren't friends connor is better friends with steph and Cass than he is with tim well and then and like we said too the only one you really can compare somewhat is emiko and damien but even then yeah. the stories are so different it's because damien is being raised by his family yeah and Emiko is stolen from her family and raised by a demented white guy that's obsessed with his Japanese mother and is trying to turn Emiko into his idealized version of Shadow, yeah. making her dress like her mother, act like how he perceives her mother to act. And Emiko kills him. They're not comparable. They're these, they are not the same. And to treat them as if they are is to ignore the complexities of every single character involved. Not just the Arrow characters, but also the Bat characters as well. It's a disservice to both franchises. Yeah. So, so I think this is a good way to end the podcast. Um, as always, um, what was it? You can also check out other Green Arrow content that we have coming out soon um, to get all caught up to everything that we've done in the museum, Forgotten Heroes segment, and Quiver. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Comic Talkers. Get all the latest updates. Let us know what you think about some of these misconceptions. Let us know what you feel about some of this stuff that we've talked about today. Um, also, check us out on Spotify for Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel um, and hit that bell notification so you never miss an episode. And without further ado, my name is Brandon. I'm Mary. And I'm Bryce.
May comics always be the top of your discussion.